This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back out of the seat. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center. And he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our show. This week it will focus, no surprise, on the trading deadline. We'll chat with Ray's Vice President of Baseball Operations, Haim Bloom, get more details on why three deals were made on Monday. We'll introduce you to new Ray's shortstop, Matt Duffy. Plus, we'll have plenty of analysis from around the country and visit with former Ray's player and executive Dave Island, now with the Kansas City Royals. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball, and joining us now, Vice President of Baseball Operations, Haim Bloom. And Haim, obviously, this is a very big week for the Rays. Give me some perspective. Did more get accomplished or were there more moves made than maybe you thought were going to happen going into the trading deadline? This was as hectic a trade deadline as I can remember. Uh, Obviously with us making multiple moves really right at the buzzer. Uh, But beyond that, just the the sheer number of of, uh, deals that were discussed. And, And I think it's a credit to the talent we have. We have a lot of players that were very much in demand. So there were a lot of possibilities to sort through. Let's start chronologically. Brandon Geyer was moved to Cleveland for two minor league players. Um, What was the thought process in moving him? Were you guys even thinking about moving him before Cleveland jumped in? Brandon, uh, moving Brandon wasn't at the top of our our, our radar screen, but it was something that became a consideration. We have a good amount of outfield depth. You know, we got a player like Mikey Matuk, who's nearing a return from the DL, a young player that – Uh, We wanted to open up some opportunity for both now and down the line. And we were also able to get a couple of players who are nice additions to our system. So how much of it was about the return and how much of it was, as you mentioned, for Mikey? Well, there's always some element that's about the return. Obviously, if we aren't able to stock the system with interesting guys, and not all of them have to be headliner, you know, top top 100 prospects, uh, you know, on Baseball America's list, but guys that we like and that we think are good fits for what we're trying to accomplish, we want to stock the system with those guys to make sure that we've got upside in a lot of different areas for viable major leaguers to emerge from. Uh, but we also are cognizant of areas of depth that we had, and a lot of what we did uh, at this deadline was using some of those areas of depth to open up opportunity for others. The second move was probably the most expected, and that's Steve Pierce because he was a free agent. Tell me what you thought of the return you got and how much interest was there in Steve at the deadline because of what he's done this year. 
Well, no surprise, Steve is a pretty attractive player to a number of teams uh, with his versatility, with his skill at the plate, and really his character. I mean, he, he fit in so well here. As you mentioned, just the fact that he was going to be a free agent meant that it made sense for us to move him as long as we could get something in return that we liked, and, and we like Jonah Heim. He's a guy who, uh, behind the plate, is very advanced, real good skill back there, works well with pitchers, and he's got a good frame uh, that as he fills out and adds more strength, uh, he's got a chance to start impacting the ball and improve offensively. There is a bit of a logjam, though, in your catching situation. I look in the Gulf Coast League and see Justin O'Connor, now in rehab, uh, as well as Nick Shufo on rehab. And you also have Mike Marjima, who's played the better part of the year at the AA level. How do you find that balance and find playing time for everybody here in the final month of the season? Well, it's no secret that we haven't yet found that uh, that one guy who's going to be our guy behind the plate for a number of years. So we want to give ourselves a lot of options to find that guy. And as long as we've got a, 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 the ability to get everybody at bats, uh, then we're going to be able to sort through a number of different guys and see who emerges. And the catching position is so physically demanding that especially in the minor leagues, uh, there's really no such thing as a guy who catches every single day. So you can have multiple prospects at one level, and between wanting to get them off their feet uh, and out from uh, behind the plate at times and also using the DH slot creatively, we can get them all enough reps to find out what we have. In terms of Heim's attractiveness, was it the youth? Was it the fact that he also switch hits? What what did you like most about him beyond the defensive numbers? Really a combination of all those things. The fact that he's been pushed very aggressively at a young age, I think, would make us think more highly of what he's uh, what he's done offensively, given that he's he's so young and has so much development ahead of him. And uh, he's a big guy who we expect to get stronger as he matures. And he hits from both sides of the plate, which means he'll always have some built-in advantage on opposing pitchers that many guys won't. Let's go to the big deal, uh, the one that got the most attention, and that's Matt Moore. You got a, a shortstop in return or a guy who you think is going to be your shortstop now in Matt Duffy. Into the deadline, was that a priority for this organization, trying to find a long-term solution as shortstop? Well, we're always, uh, we're always looking for a lot of different things, and we discuss many different configurations. And some of the clubs that were after our pitching had different things to offer. You know, the Giants obviously had someone uh, to offer that we've liked for a while. And, uh, of course, he was playing third base over there because of Brandon Crawford, but came up as a shortstop and really from his time in the minor leagues felt that this was the type of player that uh, is a winning player that can handle the position. He does a lot of those little things well that help you win baseball games, and, of course, that's something that uh, we need to continue to do better. What are the little things you see in him um, that make him that kind of player? Well, even before you get to what he does on the field, you have to start with his character, the kind of guy he is, the kind of teammate he is. Uh, this guy drew such rave reviews from all over baseball, and I think you can see even uh, you know, out in the San Francisco media market some of the things that some of the columnists have said about him since he left, uh, you know, favorite of everybody who comes in contact with him, with the media, with the fans, with his teammates. Uh, very, we heard from a lot of members of the San Francisco organization how difficult it was to give, give him up because of what he meant there. And now you get on the field and you have someone who is very fundamentally sound, and that's what allowed him to make the transition from being a minor league shortstop to one of the better defensive third basemen in the major leagues, uh, who just does a lot of things well. He was always a very good hitter, and he started to come into more power now at the major league level, and he's still young enough to get into even more as he starts uh, hitting the ball harder. And you also have a guy who puts the bat on the ball, and that's really important. It's a different look from some of the guys in our current group. And, uh, you know, a guy who can, who can make contact, move the baseball is a really nice addition to our group. Some uh, who have looked at the trade from afar said, hey, if Matt Duffy is an everyday shortstop the next three, four years for the Rays, from a Rays perspective, it's a good deal. 
Do you guys look at it the same way, regardless of what happens with the two minor leaguers that we'll touch on? Well, they were all big parts of it. I think I don't think the deal would have gotten done without the addition of some of those minor league pieces for the future. Uh, you know, certainly uh, we expect Duffy to be uh, very productive for us, and and you know with. His ability to play shortstop, I think, is a crucial part of the deal, obviously, because of the fit it created for our club. And we think we've really shored up uh, that infield unit, and it just in, it, it adds a whole new dimension to our club. Talking with Haim Bloom, Vice President of Baseball Operations on This Week in Race Baseball. And Haim, is, you look at this deal, you mentioned there were a lot of teams that were interested in Matt Moore. You could have gone young and not gone for major league return in terms of Duffy. How heavily was that weighed? based on the fact that this team is this far under 500 at this point? Well, it's always a factor. Ultimately, talent is going to rule the day, and you're not going to want to sacrifice talent uh, because we've gotten some guys historically in trades that have been very far away and have turned into impact players for us, and that's what we need to win is those impact players. So we weren't going to turn away from talent regardless of how far away it is. For example, in Lucius Fox, we feel we got a guy with the potential to be a really exciting impact player at the major leagues, even though it's going to take him some time. Uh, but at the same time, this is a core that we have here right now that we feel is cap- capable of winning. It hasn't happened this year the way that we planned, but we still have a lot of faith in the talent we have on the field. So the idea of being able to get someone that we could plug right into this group and, and expect to be able to win with next year, that was very appealing. You mentioned Lucius Fox, so let's touch on him and Michael Santos. What made each of them attractive to the Rays, and what do you see for them, let's see, in terms of their future? Well, we like uh, the, the upside on both these kids. As mentioned, they're both far away. They were both in low A. So it's, it's a long-term bet on each of them. But uh, Lucius, Lucius Fox is a very, very exciting athlete, plus athlete, plus runner, uh, really the type of athleticism that would, would go rank you know, right up there with anybody in our system. And for a guy who uh, didn't even, he has a very unique story that I won't elaborate on too much here, but didn't play high school baseball his senior year, signed out of the Bahamas uh, through the international system, and then was dropped right in the South Atlantic League and uh, managed to keep his head above water and really flash all those tools that could make him an impact player at the major league level. Now it's our job to develop him and make sure he can get to all that upside more consistently. And in Santos, we have a, a young lanky, loose, projectable pitcher who's already showed really good velocity, uh, has a good feel for the strike zone, uh, doesn't, hasn't walked a lot of guys this year, and someone that we're really excited to get into our pitching development program. The next two months, because of these trades, you do have, I wouldn't say some holes, but you've got opportunity to evaluate. How important was it to make some of these moves to get a better feel now that you've had a lot of conversations going into October, November, December? Well, it's as mentioned, it's not the position you want to be in at this point in the year. But the advantage that we have is we're going to be able to find out some things about some of our players. We're always going to try to, to win ball games, but we're also going to let some of these guys who have a chance to be part of this future and give us a better idea of what we have going into next year. We're going to let those guys show us what they can do. And we've already seen this, you know, some of it unintended. For instance, through the injuries we had, uh, Nick Franklin got a chance this year and has looked really, really good. Uh, while he's been up here and I think we're going to continue to see that and we're going to continue to to see Kevin and the staff use players in ways that might help us uh, set ourselves up well for 2017. And that's Ray's vice president of baseball operations high and bloom on the three trades made this week and the plans for August and September. Now part of the Rays' plans involved Matt Duffy joining the Rays as the everyday shortstop perhaps as soon as Friday and when Duffy came to Tropicana Field this past Wednesday I asked him to put into perspective what the past few days have been like. 
I guess a surprise. Um, I felt like kind of I was in a, a dream, I guess, just kind of not sure what I was um, experiencing. But now that the shell shock has worn off a little bit, I'm, I'm excited. Um, you know, it's a new new beginning, new opportunity, um, and that's never a bad thing, I don't think. Um, but I think unexpected was, I guess, the best uh, word I could use to describe. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask what your best memories over there were because you had some pretty good ones and you were obviously a big part of their team and their community. Um, I'd say nothing beats winning the World Series. Um, something that I would love to experience again. Um, it's one of those things that once you get there, it's not like, all right, now what do I do? It's, it's like, all right, how do I get back? That's, um, for me, the, the first first thing on my mind. Um, but, yeah, just I guess the thing is I'm going to mess with the guys the clubhouse was unbelievable. The, the coaching staff, the training staff, the fans, all of it. I mean, they're a really first-class organization. Indeed. What are the things you learned there that you can bring here that you think will help? Obviously, this organization has had a fair amount of success. Um, you know, obviously, I haven't gotten to know this this clubhouse as well. Um, but for me, something that was, was really cool was um, from – top to bottom everybody came to the park every day with how do I help the team win today's game that's kind of the, the mentality and and you see it in the play um, everybody's grinding it out everybody's playing unselfishly and um, I think when you can get that many people on board with that you've got a good chance and um, that's kind of always been my mentality and I, I feel like that there's a lot of similar things with that here but that for me is just the biggest thing is everybody's team first oriented you're learning a position that you're familiar with again. What does it mean to go back to playing shortstop, your first position at the professional level? Um, it means a lot. It's going to be a good challenge. It's it's pretty cool that the organization has faith in me to to be able to move back over there. It's first conversations I've had were really encouraging. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, I know it's going to be a challenge and there's going to be a little bit of a growth period, but um, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it. Since you've played it before, what in your mind makes a really good shortstop? I think the same thing that makes a you know a good baseball player in general is just consistency. I've seen everyone from a guy with a cannon to a guy with a ton of range to a guy with a really good glove, um, and they all have their own styles. They all have their own ways of doing things that um, you know they've still been able to get the job done. Whatever it is they have. Um, and I think that's a big key is knowing yourself and knowing not trying to be, you know, I'm not going to try to be the best Brandon Crawford. I'm going to try to be the best Matt Duffy at shortstop. Um, so I think that's something that's that's key, um, knowing yourself and, and just being consistent both mentally. And I think, you know, when you're consistent mentally, you, the physical stuff follows. In reading a lot about your journey, you're a guy who's overcome a lot. You were in a high pick. I mean, you... You got to the big leagues. You've been successful at the big leagues. Do you think that also helps drive you to become a successful shortstop to kind of prove, hey, I can do this too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I wasn't a high pick, but I had a lot of people in the Giants organization who believed in me and were big fans of me, which, um, you know, helps your confidence. And anytime you, you have a conversation like the first conversations that I've had here, that also boosts your confidence. You know, they're really excited. I'm really excited. I think it's a mutual um, positive feeling here. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I think, you know, looking back, and there have been a lot of people who didn't think I could do something or whatever it was, that it definitely fuels me and puts a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, I'd say.
You've got a guy in this clubhouse who is another Long Beach guy too. What does it mean to be playing with Evan? Um, I, I guess it makes me feel a little more comfortable, especially having him on the right to my right. Um, you know, similar upbringing, similar, um, I think, mentality about the game and kind of grind it out and um, fight for everything you get. But, yeah, it's definitely something that was one of the biggest things that I was looking forward to coming over here. I know you have a serious side, but with your cat, it sounds like you got a fair sense of humor too. Yeah, I, I, I do. He's a he's a big boy. I, you know, I, I feel like I pride myself in being able to goof around, but knowing when to, you know, tighten it up and be business oriented and get my work done. So, um, but yeah, he's a he's a big boy. He doesn't do anything, man. You just pet him. You lay him on his back in the middle of the living room. Pet his stomach. Come back 20 minutes later. He's still laying there on his back, like. Is anybody going to move me? Like, I can't get up by myself, you know? So, um, but he's he's good. He's cool. He's, you know, he's a cat. He just kind of chills there and um, does his thing. He makes a great pillow. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's a big boy. We should have, hindsight, we should have called him Garfield, but we didn't know he was going to blow up like he did, so. <laughs> now he's got a little more popularity in his own personality. And nice to get to know your personality a little bit and wish you well on the rehab and look forward to seeing you playing shortstop here tropicana field soon thank you i really appreciate it and that's ray shortstop matt duffy three hits in his two rehab games with the stone crabs will play for durham tonight looking to join the Rays lineup as soon as friday in new york against the yankees and also nice to introduce uh, you to him and his cat skeeter who you can actually follow on twitter at duffcat35 matt's cat is play all part of what made him very popular in san francisco and i asked the giants longtime beat writer for the san francisco chronicle henry shulman if he was surprised duffy was moved at the deadline not terribly surprised. Uh, I think that there had been sort of rumors out there that the Giants might need to move one of their young, controllable players uh, in order to get some pitching. And Duffy and Joe Panic, the second baseman, really are the only two guys who sort of fit that bill and also would be attractive enough to attract a guy like uh, Matt Moore. So it's not really a surprise. I mean, it's always a little bit of a shock when the you know the news actually comes across in the text message and you see the name because, uh, I mean, he really has done a lot for the Giants in the short time he had been here. I know he was very popular with the media. What made him popular with his teammates and, and the fans? Well, I, I, first of all, his, uh, his hitting when uh, last year as a rookie, also his ability to adapt. Uh, I mean, he uh, really wasn't a third baseman at all. He was mm-hmm. playing second base. He came up as a shortstop. And he, the Giants uh, had traded for Casey McGee from the Marlins uh, to start last season as a third baseman, and, and McGee flamed out. And Duffy not only came in there and, and did a, a really creditable job as, as an everyday third baseman, he actually played well enough to finish second in the Rookie of the Year balloting. And I think the fans and, and teammates liked uh, his diligence, how hard he worked to learn a brand-new position and uh, on the fly. And, and also, you know, just... Also, his personality. I mean, he, uh, he's really good with reporters and fans, uh, interacts on social media, has a good sense of humor about his, uh, his overstuffed cat. <laughs> so uh, I, I think all of that just made him an extremely popular player. And I'll be honest, the Giants fans are not happy with this deal. And I would understand that, especially because he was part of a World Series club. I mean, the same goes in, in regards to Matt Moore, who is certainly a popular player here and was part of playoff teams as well. You know, you you mentioned the, the move he made going from shortstop in the minors to third base. How well do you think he's going to adapt going back to that? Because obviously the Rays believe he can be their shortstop the next several seasons. Well, you know what? He has an excellent arm. 
that's one thing we have seen. And on top of that, his, his range is pretty good, too. I mean, he really has stopped a lot of balls. Now, whether he's going to be, you know, in the top half of defensive shortstops, I don't know. But just seeing how he worked to learn third base, and the fact that he played shortstop all through college, and you know, leads me to believe he's going to be very successful there. And really, the reason he was moved from shortstop to third is just because the Giants have such an excellent shortstop in Brandon Crawford. Correct? That that's it. That's it. I mean, they 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 moved him to second base um, in the minors. Uh, you know, about the same time that Joe Panic uh, started to, to make his rise and. Uh, the, you know, I mean, that's going to be an issue for every minor leaguer who plays the middle infielder. Uh, the Giants believe that uh, Panic and Crawford are going to be the keystone combo for a very long time. That is the, that, that's why they moved them. They, they, uh, they moved them because they had a need at third base, and uh, it just became clear within the first few weeks of the season last year that Casey McGee was not going to be the answer. Uh, and uh, they just put Duffy in there, and he just, he just flew, flew with it. You know, I'm curious, Duffy was the key piece in this deal, but what was your take on the other pieces the Rays received and what had you known about the two guys they got from the farm system, Lucius Fox and also Michael Santos? Well, actually, I was a lot more surprised that Fox was included in the deal because this is a guy the Giants paid $6 million to sign as an 18-year-old, considered one of the best athletes, overall athletes in the international uh, draft class last year. And, and a guy that uh, who was going to be a, a shortstop or had been a shortstop, but mm-hmm. a guy that everyone believed was going to be moved eventually to left field um, to you know solve a need that the longstanding need for the Giants, which is uh, homegrown outfielders. They just don't uh, they just don't have very many of those over the years. And um, he, you know, I mean, he's he's got power, he's got speed, uh, and, and and it really did surprise me. And, and I think in I think in the long run. Uh, that may be the guy when, when the Rays look back at this deal, as good as Duffy is. I mean, that could be the guy who uh, they're going to look back at and say, wow, we, we were really fortunate uh, to get him. Santos has, Santos has a big arm. Uh, there are some other pitchers in the system, perhaps, that they the Giants had ranked a, a little bit higher than that. But, that, you know, this is, this is a guy who projects out to be a, a big league pitcher. So, I mean, it was, it was a pretty good haul, which is what you would expect. Mm-hmm. the raise to demand for a guy who's going to be under team control for another three, four years. And in terms of the Giants' perspectives on going out and wanting a Matt Moore, how much of it was, look, they've got Bumgarner, they've got Cueto at the top of the rotation, Samarge has been, uh, you know, had a very good start to the year, too. Um, how much of it was having Matt Moore specifically, but also having a le- another lefty with some of the teams that they may face in the postseason? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of it. I, I, I think that the there was an immediate need, and then there's a long-term need. Uh, you know, the immediate need was that the rotation has started to falter in the second half. Not Bumgarner and Cueto, but uh, Samarja has really had a bad couple of months. Uh, Jake Peavy, he's now in the bullpen now, now that Matt Moore is here. And, and Matt Cain, is, uh, he's had a series of injuries, so uh, they, they had been running through the bullpen at a really kind of terrifying rate. And that contributed to the bullpen not performing well. So in the immediate term, I think they needed a guy like Matt Moore to try and add some stability and innings to the rotation. But looking ahead long term, the Giants, who have always been good about finding uh, starting pitchers from their system to plug in the rotation, they've been in a little bit of a slump with that lately. They have not had that sort of next Bumgarner uh, or next Lincecum or next Kane. And this year's, uh, this winter's free agent market for starting mm-hmm. pitching is, is supposed to be dreadful. So... I think the Giants felt that they uh, solved two needs, immediate and, and long-term, 
and, and Moore was the guy they say they targeted uh, because because of uh, you know a, po- a power left-handed arm like that, um, and uh, they like guys for size. He, you know, he's a good-sized guy, uh, and they're, they're expecting big things from him for a long time. If you just look ahead to next year, if, if you can have uh, Bumgarner, Cueto, uh, and and Moore as your one-two-three, and you have a guy like Samarja as as good as he can, uh, as, as well as he can, you know, hump the ball up there. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty deep. And also, one last thing: they don't know how long they're going to have Cueto. Cueto has an opt out after next season. If he puts together a, a season next year like he did this year, the Giants are going to have to spend a lot of money and compete with a lot of teams probably to keep him. So that's another reason they wanted a guy like Moore. And that's Henry Shulman, Giants beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Race Baseball Network. This is Tampa Bay Sports Radio. This one's on its way. Thank God. 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Neil Solon's with you on This Week in Rays Baseball. Coming up, Luke Maley right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball. And our feature guest this week is catcher Luke Maley. And Luke, you've had an opportunity or will have the opportunity here to catch for a full half season at the big league level post All-Star break. What does that mean to you? It means everything. I mean, this is the level that um, obviously everybody's trying to get to. So the fact <clears throat> that I finally made it here and I have a chance to, you know, kind of be an everyday guy, at least for the time being, um, it's a great opportunity. You know, just really fortunate to be a part of this team, get to know the guys, and, um, you know, I love being here. With that, you also went through your first deadline day. What was that like from a personal side? Personally, I mean, for me, it's a lot different. The major league level, you know, the minor leagues, it's just you're kind of um, – it's not quite – it doesn't hit quite as, host, as close to home as it does at the big league level. So it was a different experience for me, you know, losing Matt Moore, losing BG, you know, losing Pierce. Um, these are guys that, you know, I've gotten to know obviously this year, um, some a little more than others. But when you see them go, it's, it's pretty bittersweet. I would think especially Matt because you had a really positive impact on him when he came back to Durham last year to come back from Tommy John surgery. Yeah, Matt and I got to know each other pretty well. I mean, um, you know, especially out on the field. Um, you know, when he went to Durham to rehab a little bit last year, you know, we, we had a lot of good conversations about what he wanted to do moving forward, and, you know, he happened to start pitching pretty well. Um, it wasn't anything that I really had a lot to do with, but, um, you know, I think there was some comfortability on his end with me, and, um, you know, it was reciprocated. I was curious about that. What did you think clicked? What, you know, caused his results to be so good? Because he had a huge strikeout game in Durham. He carried it over the final month. And I thought he continued to kind of really pitch well after you came up here, too. Yeah, he really did. I mean, I think mainly I think he got some confidence back. He just started walking around, um, you know, like the Matt Moore of old. And uh, it was pretty It was pretty cool to see. But, I mean, you know, specifically speaking, I think just being able to throw the baseball over the plate consistently and have competitive misses instead of uncompetitive misses, you know, um, I think that goes a long way, especially with a power arm like his. Obviously, you've learned a lot so far in these first couple weeks since coming up. What's the biggest thing you've learned to this point? I mean, I think it's just, um, you know, you have to continue to make adjustments, and everybody always talks about that, but kind of feeling it firsthand, um, I'm not really sure if that's something that you would specifically say that you learn, but you start to feel like, man, you know, if I don't make an adjustment, like I'm going to get eaten up here. And um, so, you know, just kind of seeing that firsthand is probably the biggest thing that comes to mind. Is that behind the plate or next to it? I mean, I think it's everything. I mean, I think it's something as simple as, you know, how you take care of your body or how you, um, 
you know, how, what kind of sleep you're getting and stuff like that. Not that I've, you know, done a bad job of those, but you really see the importance at this level because it really is, um, every pitch is much more magnified up here. How different is the game? How different are the hitters and pitchers from what you faced, at least on an everyday basis, at the AAA level or any time at the minor league level? I mean, the game remains pretty much the same um, overall. I would have to say the biggest difference is probably the bullpens. Um, you know, they're matching up a lot at this level. You know, if you're a right-handed hitter, you're going to face right-handed arms out of the bullpen. You're not going to see a left-handed hitter too often. Uh, it's not really the case in AAA all the time. Um, but the game's the same. And I think if you have um, if you have the mindset that you belong here, you know, you can, you can definitely at least look the part. And then it's just about, you know, finding some hits and, and having some production. Luke Maley with us on this week in Rays baseball. What makes a good catcher in your mind? I mean, a lot of things. I, mean, I think first and foremost is just the ability to get, um, you know, good communication with your entire staff. And it starts with the starters, obviously, but, you know, the bullpen is where a lot of games are won and lost. And I think just the ability when they come in that they, they can throw a ball in the dirt or they can trust what you're putting down, I think that goes a really long way. But the bottom line is you have to be able to do it all at this level. Kevin Cash has talked about your well-timed visits to the mound. How do you decide in your own head – and what do you think is a well-timed visit? Um, I think it's any time that you just feel the momentum slipping away from you a little bit. You know, you always want to be a pitch in front of it and not a pitch behind. Um, you know, even if you go out there and something does happen, you know, right after the visit, at least at least you felt it before it happened. You never want to be the guy that's always making the visit after the two or three-run homer or the two-run double or whatever it is. Um, the timing of it, though, I mean, the guys at this level, they know when to go out there. It's not anything that's just unique to me, uh, but I've, you know, I'm, I'm glad that uh, people are paying attention and see that, you know, maybe they have paid off a little bit. I think for any major league player or in any sport at any level, it's important to be a good self-evaluator. So what do you think you're best at now and where do you want to grow the most? Uh, what I'm best at right now, I mean, I, I think I receive the ball pretty well. I've always been um, pretty complimented for that. Um, you know, I don't think it's otherworldly or anything like that, but I think I do a nice job defensively. Uh, offensively, I just got to get better. I mean, it's just not good enough um, in today's game to just be a 190 hitting catcher, I don't think. Um, you know, and I've always been really honest about my hitting and, and about my game, and I think that that's something I have to grow with or else, um, you know, I'm just not going to be the player I want to be. You want to be – are you see yourself as a contact guy, as a gap-to-gap guy? How do you see yourself growing then? I mean, I, I really – I don't know. I mean, I think it's too early to say, to be honest with you. I think um, part of the reason that I was in the minor leagues, you know, the last few years is to find out, you know, what I could be. And uh, I don't think you ever really fully know, um, but I, I think I could be a guy that has decent at-bats, and I, I know I'm big and strong enough to where I could at least uh, have the potential to do some damage. Were you always a catcher? And if not, when did you come, become a catcher as a child? I was a pitcher shortstop till I was uh, maybe 10. You know, when I was real little, I, I was always, like, pitching or playing shortstop. Uh, I got to be about 10 or 11 years old, and catcher became an everyday thing. Um, I, had a, uh, I had a coach that you know, kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, this is the fastest way to the major leagues. And, and he kind of saw that my arm played and that I had a mind for the game. And uh, I still thank him for it. So who did you grow up watching, admiring as a catcher then? Uh, when Benito Santiago was playing for the Reds, which is where I grew up next to Cincinnati, uh, I thought I got a big kick of watching him throw the ball. I thought that was really cool. Pudge Rodriguez was really popular. Um, and then, you know, again, growing up in Cincinnati, you know, Johnny Bench, they show highlights of him almost nightly, you know, on the news and stuff like that. So, you know, there was always uh, there was always that familiarity with him. So we don't play in Cincinnati this year, but how many Reds games did you go to as a kid? And what are your best memories from going there? I went to hundreds. 
I mean, I, I really did from the time I was maybe a couple years old to uh, the time I went to college. Um, my best memories were at the old Riverfront Stadium, I'd have to say. I just, I got the, I got such a kick out of that place, you know, the AstroTurf and, um, you know, it was during the cookie, cookie cutter ballpark stage, but, uh, you know, it was like home, it was like home to me. I went to so many games, I sat in the same seats almost every day um, that I went. And, uh, you know, just watching Barry Larkin play, watching Jose Rio, guys like that. I mean, it brings back a lot of memories. Did you ever go down close to enough to the field to get autographs? And if so, do you remember who signed for you as a kid? Have you run into them, any of them yet, minors or majors? Yeah, I, well, the, the funny thing about me was I was such a baseball nerd. I didn't want him to sign the baseball that I caught at the game. I wanted to go home and play with it, and I didn't want it to be tampered in any way. So when I went down close, all I wanted to do was just talk to them. I just wanted to shake their hand or say hi or like ask him like I remember specifically asking Barry Larkin one time what pitch he sat on on a 2-0 count or something like that and I was maybe nine years old I was a really goofy kid believe me well it paid off right yeah I guess so you came from an athletic family though I mean your dad played defensive back at Kentucky your your grandfather played basketball at LSU did you ever consider playing any of the other sports or was it always baseball I mean, I was always best at baseball, but whatever season it was, that's that was like my passion. You know, I, I put I put baseball away for the winter. I, I didn't do any of it. I didn't throw. I didn't hit. You know, that was the time for basketball. Um, I played a little bit of golf in high school. That was kind of like my getaway, you know, sport to kind of rest my body. Um, but I could still compete, you know, from August to September or so before basketball got going. I liked them all, though. I mean, my family grew up in sports. We, we play anything. Um, it's a competitive family. We have fun with it, and I just love being around it. Now, you are known, or Mark Topkin wrote about, the size of your hands. They help you in basketball? Were you, were you a pretty good dunker? Of course, yeah. I wasn't a great dunker. I was a good dunker, and, it, and believe me, it was always um, – the only reason I was was because of the size of my hands, for sure. When they say double XL or, or batting gloves or triple XL, I mean, how big are they compared to what most people are using? They're not. It's not like um, otherworldly or anything by any means. But um, most guys are a large. I would say um, there's a couple XLs. Uh, I I haven't run into any double XL guys. I'm sure there are some, but I none off the top of my head. And how much do you think it helps you in baseball? I'm not sure. Um, I think I'm able to take a little bit more of a beating on foul tips and things like that. Um, you know, I think that just that durability. You know, with my my catching hand, I think goes helps a little bit. Um, I, I've always kind of believed that, um, you know, the ability to just spin the baseball to second base as a thrower, um, being a catcher is really important. I would say maybe that helps a little bit, but, you know, all in all, you're playing the same game everybody else is. You can hold seven baseballs in one hand. Can you juggle baseballs? With... No, I'm the worst juggler in the world. No <laughs> chance. I know you're not a big runner. Your wife, Pages, though, she ran a marathon. How is playing a baseball season as a catcher like running a marathon? Well, I mean, you can you can imagine it right off the top of your head, I'm sure. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have any firsthand experience of running the marathon, but um, I know it's much, much harder than playing a full baseball season. It has to be. I mean, it was the, the training that she did and everything else. That's, I mean, that's really tough. Um, but playing a season's hard, too. Don't get me wrong. Catching's difficult. But it's like I tell everybody else, man. I mean, if you don't want to do it, don't sign up for it. It's just part of the gig. And that was as your first, what, wedding anniversary that she ran the marathon? Yeah, that's right. Can you tell me a little bit? I know you've told this story to me before, but let our audience know about the time that you guys kind of met and connected in summer ball. Yeah, I mean, I was a freshman at uh, the University of Kentucky, and you go play in the college summer league, and I, I happened to go to Amsterdam, New York. 
um, which is up near Albany for a team called the Amsterdam Mohawks. And she actually worked at the field. She was she worked in the ticket uh, counter or whatever and, um, you know, kind of noticed her. She noticed me type thing. And um, basically one thing led to another where I just said hi to her every day as much as I could. You know, just uh, these stadiums are so small there that you're pretty much right, you know, on top of the dugout and everything else is right next to each other. And uh, one thing led to another. I invited her down to meet my family in Kentucky. She did. And we did a long-distance relationship for a few years and um, got married in uh, 2014. And she actually was the 50-50 person, too, for the baseball games. Yeah, that's right. It was like the split-the-pot girl, so she was walking around the stadium and trying to sell tickets for the for the ballpark. Did it work like the movie? Did you ever pass notes? or? <laughs> no. No. It's, Hollywood's very different from real life, I'm afraid. Let's try and look forward five years from now. What do you want to be baseball-wise? Um, it's a really good question. I mean, it's it's kind of a – it's so far away, and I'm, I'm so new at this with the big leagues that it's kind of hard for me to answer that. Um, I can tell you that I think I expect to be playing on a winning team somewhere, and I hope it's here because I really like this place. I love the people, and I think we have the people around here that, that we can have some pretty exciting seasons. Um, but to be honest with you, five years away feels so long. I, I just really want to get through tonight. <laughs> well, good luck getting through tonight, the rest of the season. We appreciate some time on this week in Rays baseball. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for having me. That's Luke Maley, and we'll continue right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. One of the three trades the Rays made on Monday involved outfielder Brandon Geyer, and I asked Indians broadcaster Jim Rosenhaus how Brandon fit with Cleveland's needs after the big deal a week ago for Andrew Miller. They did, and, and for, uh, to add some offense, too, and, and obviously it was well documented that they, they made the big pitch for Jonathan Lucroy, and it fell through, but uh, they still wanted to, to try and add something. And just uh, talking to Terry Francona, uh, they feel that, that Brandon Geyer just he fits what this team needs, and, and that's what they're looking for at this point in the season. And by that, uh, they have some good left-handed bats, and Lonnie Chisenhall and then the rookie Tyler Naquin for the outfield. But they wanted to see if they could add another right-handed bat and, and be in a position where it wouldn't matter if another team threw a lefty at them. And uh, So that's where Brandon Geyer fits. And obviously the ability to, to play you know, throughout the outfield helps. You know, There's a lot of the intangibles that I know you saw down there. And, and of course, uh, they got a glowing report from Kevin Cash who they have a great relationship with. So uh, I think they're real pleased with what they got, uh, especially in a situation where where they were scrambling a little bit, and I think they felt that they fell into something really good with Brandon Geyer. Do you expect that he's going to be used primarily then just against left-handed pitching? I think initially because Chisholm Hall's been going through a, a real good stretch, and, and so has Naquin, so it might be uh, somewhat tricky. And uh, But as long as Michael Brantley's not playing, then there is, that does open up the possibility that, that he would play a little bit more than just against left-handed pitching. And uh, you, know, you know how it is. You go through some stretches where you see a bunch of lefties, and then you can go a while without seeing any. So Tito's pretty good about not letting a guy rot on the bench, so to speak. And so I, I think you'll see him in there against more than just lefties. How much uh, does it also help in terms of the flexibility of the Indians roster? Because I remember when we saw you last, Jose Ramirez is playing the outfield a little bit. Does this allow him to maybe focus on the infield and, and have more natural outfielders out there? Absolutely it does, and, and that's the plan. He is now out of the outfield equation, and with the, the release of, of Juan Uribe, that opens up third base and makes it Ramirez's position now. And, and that's, that's an improvement defensively at third, 
and probably an improvement in the outfield too because he he battled and he was okay out there serviceable I, I think was would probably be the best way to put it and he worked hard at it but obviously someone like a, a Brandon Geyer and, and a Rajay Davis who they already have those are guys who, who play the outfield all the time so uh, you know there's a little bit more familiarity with the position there and a little more effective. You know, to get something, you got to give something, and they're a little lower on the food chain in terms of where they are in terms of development, but what do you know about Nathan Lucas and also Yolanda Salinas? Well, Lucas just got bumped up. Uh, he had been at low A and then just got bumped up to, to high A in the Carolina League, was hitting over 300. He's a college-drafted kid, so a little bit older, but he's making the steps on the minor league ladder, at least he was with the Indians. And then Salinas, uh, he's a young arm out of the Dominican, and, and he's been in the Arizona Summer League this season after extended spring training. And just talking to Carter Hawkins, who's the Indians' farm director, uh, he was recently out in Arizona watching the Summer League team for a little bit, and uh, he rattled off about a half dozen names of young pitchers to keep an eye on with the, the idea that there's a high attrition rate from, from uh, those levels to, to eventually reaching the major leagues. But... He included Salinas in that group of, of young power arms that the Indians like to stockpile, and so I'm sure there's some value there. And, and again, are they deep in the system? Yes, but um, I don't know. Like here's a comparable for you, um, and, and maybe it's a big time stretch based on how he's done. But when the when the Rays got Chris Archer, I know he was down a little bit in the, in the system for the Cubs, and I know he was very highly regarded. But uh, it's one of those things that. Maybe two or three years from now, you look down the road and, and you have something there, and it turns out to be a real nice trade for Tampa Bay. And that's Jim Rosenhouse with the Indians Radio Network on the deal involving Brandon Gaia with Cleveland. Now, the least surprising deal was free agent to be Stephen Pierce, who was dealt to Baltimore for catcher Jonah Heim. And I asked the broadcaster in Frederick, Jeff Arnold, about Heim's original reaction. Yeah, he was definitely surprised because he was originally in the lineup that day to, to catch, but... Uh, he got the news right at batting practice, and everyone kind of huddled around the Keys dugout, and he found out that he had been dealt, and so he packed his stuff up, went up the stairs, and started packing up to head to his next location. Um, it was definitely, I think, uh, a surprise for Jonah. I mean, he was in the lineup that day. I don't think there was any pre-knowledge that he was going to be traded, or um, I don't think anyone knew that it was going to happen. But, um, you know, a great kid. I think definitely some surprise, probably a little bit of sadness, too, just because he's been with the Orioles for a couple of years and he's made a lot of friends. But at the same time, I think he knows that, that it's a business and it's part of baseball. From what I've read, his strength is on the defensive end. How does he compare, let's say, to some of the other catchers you saw this year in the Carolina League at the high A level? You know what? I think he was one of the best, if not the best. He was an all-star this year, and I think a lot of that had to do with his catching ability. He's a lanky guy. He's really good at blocking. He's got a great throwing arm. I think at the time he departed for the Rays, he was second in the Carolina League and caught stealing percentage. So he can definitely do the job defensively. And our Orioles minor league catching coordinator, Don Werner, when he saw Heim at a pre-draft workout, he was saying recently that it was just somebody that he had to have. Um, he saw him, and he was calling the draft room a couple of times to see if they were going to pick Heim, and eventually they did. But he was somebody that, that I know that, that he loved and a lot of people in the organization really liked. Uh, Joe is also really good at working with a, a lot of different people. He's kind of uh, an eclectic, free spirit. Um, so he's, he's very relatable, very nice. The pitching staff really trusted him. And I know that whenever uh, somebody was on the mound, they were always comfortable with Jonah behind the plate. How had he grown this year from a defensive standpoint in your mind? Obviously, it sounds like he had some pretty good tools to begin with. 
You know what? I think it's it's just sort of knowledge of the game. You know, you get up to the advanced day level and you have some guys that are they're down from double A and every once in a while you see somebody with some triple A time. So I think it's just a better knowledge of how to call a game and working with a pitching staff. I mean, he was pretty fortunate that our hitting coach, Eric Papp, is a former big league catcher too. So they were able to talk about some situations and how to sequence and you got better at reading swings and, and a lot of the little things that you need to do to be effective as a big league catcher. And I know that having Eric here certainly helps. Most of the time for catchers, the big question if they can if they can defend is how they are next to the plate rather than behind it. I know his numbers aren't eye-popping. How has he grown this year as a hitter? Well, from, a, from an offensive standpoint, um, he comes to the Rays. He was sort of experiencing, uh, from, from a hitting standpoint, a little bit of a slump when, when he left. Um, he's got some power for sure, a lot of gap-to-gap power. He hit some home runs here. Um, the biggest key for Jonah when it comes to his hitting is to make sure that he gets his, his stride down, and that was something that they were really preaching to him uh, before he got traded, which is make sure that every pitch that you see for the duration of the year that you're landing your stride. And when he does that, he makes really sound contact. Um, he definitely has to get his hands through a little bit quicker on the inside pitches just because, I said, he is really lanky, and so sometimes guys will work him inside. Um, his goal is to try and make good contact, at the very least foul the ball off. But the, the real key for him is if he can land his stride, he can make good contact. If he's not doing that, then it's a little bit of softer contact or swings and misses. He's still fairly young for that league, from what I can recall, 21 years of age at the Carolina League level in high A. So um, has he always been a switch hitter, and which is his stronger side? I think from an average standpoint, he did a little bit better from the right side. You know, he was a switch hitter. He started doing that when he was in high school, and it's something that he has kind of worked at since he has become a professional. He definitely has power from the left side. And he certainly swings it probably a lot more from the left. He saw more right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers. Um, but he, he's been switch hitting since high school. Um, I don't think you know, I think his right-handed swing he does may, maybe had some better numbers, but I don't think that it's a drastic difference between his right-handed swing versus his left-handed swing. And that's Frederick broadcaster Jeff Arnold on Jonah Heim. On the field, the most impressive performance of the trot this week, Danny Duffy's. And I asked Royals pitching coach Dave Island, a former Rays pitcher and executive, how impressive it was. You know, you could see it coming. I mean, the, the stuff, obviously, when everything's clicking, the timing's right, and he's attacking the strike zone, it's above-average stuff, all, all three pitches all the way around. But what Danny's starting to do now, he's starting to be able to read swings. Um, you know, he stays one pitch ahead of the hitter. And he says he, he's keeping things simple and he's staying on the attack. And when you do that with the kind of stuff that he possesses, then you're going to have nights like this. Was this something that the organization thought, I mean, it's not going to be possible every time out, but the fact that he has the ability to be at the top of the rotation? Well, first of all, he's a left-hander and he's got power. And now um, earlier this year, we kind of took his, uh, he had a curveball and a slider. We kind of took both those pitches and combined it in one. Now it's just a hard breaking ball. You know, some people may call it a curveball. Some people may call it a slider, but it's kind of an in-between. It's just a hard breaking ball, but, but more importantly, it's an effective pitch. And he's always had the good changeup. Now he's commanding all three. And when you command all three and you have power, and like I said, you know, you're, gonna, you're more often than not, you're going to get good results. It certainly bodes well for the future. To kind of take a look back past, we haven't seen you in this ballpark since you won a championship. Can you put in perspective what that meant personally and just the ride that this group went on? Yeah, well, fortunately, that was my second one. But it was my first one, obviously, here in Kansas City. And where this organization came from in the last 30 years and where it came from since 2012 when I was here and this group of, of mostly homegrown talent, and the way this organization goes about their business and the way they treat people, it was it was definitely a lot more special than the first one. Tell me what was, for you, the best part of the whole ride and, and the rise to 
where you ended up? Well, I think seeing these guys mature, you're getting Wade Davis, who was kind of a failed starter here in, this, in Tampa, and then he came out to us and he still started, and we put him in the bullpen, and all of a sudden, uh, almost instantly, he became one of the game's, you know, if not the game's best closer. So just to see the whole thing evolve, um, where this organization came from. Not only that, the, the, the city of Kansas City has been starving for a winter for over 30 years, or actually 30 years. So just to see the whole community come together and, and how the, the whole community of Kansas City has embraced these team and these, and these players personally, just the, the whole thing was, was, was very special. Since you mentioned Wade, and, and I know he's on the shelf right now, what has he meant the last couple of years to this organization? And is it just a product, do you think, of how much how much he had to put forth out of that bullpen over the last couple of years? Well, to win a championship or, or, or to be in the conversation of being in a championship or, or, or a contending team, you have to have guys step up. You have to have guys step up and, and, and take it to another level. Wade has certainly done that. You know, there's a lot of bullpen guys that could probably use two weeks right now. Um, but, you know, we've played, you know, an extra month, month and a half the last two years, not just last year. So you know, everybody's a little bit tired, a little bit banged up. I mean, we've, we've lost a month's rest the last two off seasons. So everything catches up with us. But, I mean, if, if we were going down the stretch here and, and we, were, we were fighting for a playoff spot, Wade would still be pitching. But, you know, we wanted to err on the side of caution, give him a little bit of a break here, and, and we'll get him back and, and, and we'll move forward from there. At the trading deadline this year, we saw the value of relief pitching and how much teams are willing to pay. How much do you think of that, of that is seeing what you guys accomplished the last two years with the bullpen you had? Well, I think so. I mean, I think we kind of set the precedent. Now that people are copying us, but, I mean, you can't argue with, with how we've done it the last two years. Our mantra is just let our starters keep us in the game, whether it's five innings, six innings, whatever the case may be. And we've always had a, a deep bullpen. We feel we get them through five or six innings. We'll turn it over to that shutdown bullpen and – and uh, we'll take our chances, and it's, it's worked out pretty well the last two years. I think other teams have seen that, and um, they've kind of gone that route. I mean, I th- it's a lot easier and a lot cheaper <laughs> as well to get to get relievers than it is starters. So I, th- I think kind of people are kind of going by, going off of that blueprint. But um, you know, um, there's more than one ways to win it. But, but but that's what we've done, and people have seen it. So maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe maybe they're trying to copy us. Who knows? That is Dave Island. Thanks to him and all our guests coming up the pregame show on the Rays Baseball Network.